Our guest today is a very accomplished 26-year-old. She is a voice of millennial conservatives in America and hosts One American News Network's program, Tipping Point, where she tackles issues that are most important to the millennial generation, as well as unpacks issues that Americans want to hear that they are not receiving on traditional mainstream media. Liz's program is one of the highest rated television shows on OANN. That is, if you're not familiar, One American News Network. And it airs to 30 million households Monday through Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. In August of 2016, Liz was named a top 10 30 under 30 conservative rising star by Red Alert Politics. She's also co-authored a book with 13 other young Americans called Young, Conservative, and Why It's Smart to Be Like Us. And that book reached number two on Amazon's Kindle bestseller list in the civics category. She's a graduate of Penn State University with a bachelor's degree in political science and a minor in homeland security and has worked with military veterans who sought employment after their service. She's also spoken at conservative groups and at GOP events about the role of government on our society and how to win the vote of the youth. Today, we have the privilege to speak with Liz about her upbringing and really pick her brilliant mind about topics such as bridging the gap between left and right political parties, the gun control debate, abortion, and the state of millennials today. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And here she is on the Lucas Miles Show, Liz Wheeler. Liz Wheeler, welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. Lucas, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's really good to have you on. I've been watching some of the clips on YouTube from your show, The Tipping Point with Liz Wheeler, for those people that might not uh, be super familiar with that yet, which they should be, but uh, I've really enjoyed it. I just think I love your perspective, and I want to talk about this a little bit more later, but I love the values behind your conservatism, and I think that's really unique. Thank you. Our viewers don't know this because they didn't hear us talking right before we started, but he said, Lucas told me that he binge-watched all my videos on YouTube right before we started. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I, well, I went from Stranger Things and then hopped over to binge-watch all of your shows. So That's a lot of stuff to be floating around in your head. <laughs> you have like 500 videos or something insane like on YouTube. Just kept scrolling down. I was like, wow, this is wild. So very impressive. Talk to me here because you have your own show, The Tipping Point with Liz Wheeler. It airs on one of America News Network or OAN. Tell us a little bit about OAN and what's really the passion behind that. Sure. So OAN, One American News Network, is a family-owned independent network. Such a great place to work. So much fun to work here. It's been incredible to see the growth of this network since 2013, when it was born on July 4th of 2013. No coincidence there that the date is July 4th. And it's very interesting to be part of a network that's not tied to a big corporation or not tied to special interests, not tied to advertisers, just to be able to compete based off of what the American people want to hear, the kind of news, the kind of commentary that the American people want to hear that they might not be getting from the mainstream media. And it has been 
the most fun, Lucas. We've been on the air for two years now. I think we did episode 528 today. My show started in October of 2015, so two years after the network started. It has been the most fun to interact with viewers and talk about stories the mainstream media refuses to cover to explain and unpackage why conservatives and Republicans believe what we believe, how our policies work practically when they're implemented, why Democrats' policies don't work practically when they're implemented, and just the motivation that comes between the parties. It has been a blast. I'm so grateful to be part of this network. I love all of that, and I love the guys over at Fox. I actually just had Hannity on the show a few episodes back, and he was wonderful. But you guys can really, like, truly claim you're not part of the mainstream media. You know, I mean, that's like, you really, I mean, I think that makes, as to some degree, outsiders gives even a lot more credibility to your program and to the things that you're sharing, you know, specifically when you're talking about the media. So I think that's really wild. Right. And the founders of this company, Robert Herring and his sons, I mean, they founded this company because they wanted to compete. I mean, they're businessmen. They know what they're doing. But they saw this demand from the American people that people wanted, first of all, straight news. They wanted to turn on a broadcast and have it be like something that we would see 50 years ago, where you just turn it on. And within the space of 10 or 15 minutes, you get all the headlines of the day instead of what we normally see on the mainstream networks, which are entertaining. Don't get me wrong. But what we see is we turn it on and we see one story covered an hour with a million talking heads, you know, yelling at each other, talking on top of each other. And they saw this demand for straight news and they created that. Of course, you know, the talk shows like me, I'm not straight news. I'm opinion. I'm very open about that. And I think anyone who's ever seen, seen, no. me or seen any of my videos <laughs> knows that without question. Even so, there's a demand for stories that the mainstream media doesn't want to talk about, stories that liberals are afraid to tell you about because it busts their narrative with a pinch of opinion thrown in in the evening talk shows like mine. Okay, so let's talk about really where did this passion for journalism start for you? Did you grow up wanting to be a journalist? How did you end up where you're at today? I'm an opinionated person. That's been something that driving force in my life. Um, I, I don't know that it's that it was a goal of mine to get into journalism. Originally, what I wanted to do with my career is I wanted to be a speech writer. I wanted to do what Mark Thiessen did for George Bush. That's what I wanted to do with my career. That's kind of what I studied and what I planned to do. And then it got to the point towards the end of college when I was putting these skills into practice and practicing the skills. And I realized that what I wanted to write for someone or what I wanted to say it was a little frustrating when you try to write for someone else because they always change it and they would change it just enough that I'd be like, no, that's not what I wanted to say. So I figured if I wanted it to be said the way I wanted to say it, I better say it myself. A lot of my listeners know that I also have a film business as well. We produce uh, content for Walmart and Redbox and things. It's like directing films. Sometimes you have the actor, you just want to get in like go, all right, can I just step in here and deliver this line here for a second? Because you hear it in your head and you know how you want it to come across. I can understand the frustration with that for sure. OAN is based out of Orange County, correct? Or Southern California? San Diego, yeah. A little bit bit south of Orange County, yeah. Our headquarters are here in San Diego, and then we have bureaus in a couple cities around the country, in Washington, D.C., obviously, in New York City. We're expanding and growing every day. The addition of the New York studio was just this year. It's very recent. Awesome. Very cool. Now, you're not from California originally, right? You uh, grew up in the Midwest? No, I'm a transplant. I'm a transplant. I think everyone in Southern California probably is a transplant, or at least most people in San Diego seem to be transplants. I've been out here for about four years, give or take, but I grew up 
in the heart of the Midwest in Ohio, right outside Cincinnati. Okay. I actually almost went to Bible college in Cincinnati. So I was like okay. this close. Long story there, but spent a little time down there scouting that out. So a uh, great area. It's a great place to grow up. I love the Midwest. My heart will always be in the Midwest. Yes. The values that you have and obviously the perspectives that you have that you're not shy at all about sharing on your show were those ideals that you grew up with or did some of these values sort of really solidify later on in life for you well both i think i grew up in conservative catholic family those values were instilled in the way that we were raised and what was expected from us of course our parents never forced political views or religion on us but they did rear us to be Catholic children. They educated us about their own political views, but I think it's a combination in everybody's life and everybody's journey, whether it's your faith journey or whether it's your political philosophy. And I think a lot of times those two are tied together. You get to a point as an adult that it doesn't matter, I suppose, how you were raised. You have to get to that point where you stop and you make that decision to believe in those things as an adult. And that's how it's been for me. So I certainly was raised in a conservative household. My parents instilled in us personal responsibility, fiscal responsibility, all the different, I think, conservative ideals. My dad's a small business owner, so I saw how that worked. My mom is a stay-at-home mom who, you know, dedicated her life to her children, who dedicates her life currently to her children, to educating us, to taking care of her family, you know, traditional family values. But once you get to be a young adult, and this can happen at differing ages for different people, you kind of come up to that window and you say, okay, now I have to not just draft off of my parents' views. I have to make a choice of what I want to believe in, what I want to stand up for, and then go forward with it. I love that. And speaking of Catholic background, I'm actually down the street from the University of Notre Dame right now. So that's kind of in my backyard here. So it's kind of the Mecca outside of maybe the Vatican in Boston or something like that for uh, (laughs) for Catholicism. But I'm around a lot of conservatives. I consider myself a conservative. I see sometimes people that are conservative almost for conservative sake. And there doesn't seem to be anything behind that. It feels a little hollow at times because there's not that faith backbone. Like picking a team almost. You pick your party versus picking your principal. Right. And that's one thing I really respect about how you deliver content is that there's substance behind it. It's not just I'm right because I'm not left. It's that there's this backbone of faith and values and a belief in God that you're not shy about talking about. And I think that really adds a lot to what you bring. I think it makes you stand out from my perspective amongst some of the other people that are just kind of spouting conservatism without any sort of moral compass behind that. Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. And second of all, I agree with you. I think that's very important. I think I've always been a consumer of information. I don't like to repeat talking points. All of what I say, I have thought through and I have thought through again. And then I have thought through a third time. I'm not simply repeating party talking points. There's a reason for everything I say, which is why, by the way, I'm a very argumentative person, both in my professional life and my personal life, because when I say something or when I do something, I know why I do it. I know why I do it because I've come to it both via reasons due to my faith and via practical reasons, you know, the quote unquote secular reasons. And of course I'm going to stand behind. That's why people are like, well, you don't give an inch when you're talking to Democrats on your show. And it's like, well, it's because we're not just trying to compromise. This is principle. This is value. You can't compromise on that stuff. I think that's a very great perspective. So talking about that, obviously there's a chasm between liberalism and conservatism today. Is there any opportunity to bridge that divide? And if so, does faith play a role in that at all? 
Yeah, of course, there's an opportunity to bridge that divide. I mean, I would say to do so, we need to step outside of Washington, D.C., step outside the swamp, because the politicians on both sides of the aisle in Washington, D.C., they're corrupt. They're used to being in the beltway. They're out of touch, elitist, all those regular points. But the American people, we have the same intentions. We have the same desires. We want to take care of ourselves. We want to live our lives in peace and safety. And for the most part, I would say the vast majority of the American people want what's best for each other and want to be kind to each other. The disagreement is not on the intention. It's not on what people want for our country. The disagreement is on how we achieve that. You can see that in any of the various issues that we talked about. You can see that, you know, with the tax reform debate that's happening in Congress right now. You can see that in the gun control debate that happens constantly. And let's use that one as an example. The gun control debate, aside from the politicians in Washington, D.C., but the regular American people, everyone wants to be safe. They want to keep other people safe. They want to keep guns out of the hands of criminals, but they still want the capacity to defend themselves. So right there, we're all on the same page. It's just the politicians in Washington, D.C. who have such vastly differing opinions and policies on how we achieve that. So I think there's so much opportunity. There's a wealth of opportunity for that gap to be bridged somehow. And of course, my personal convictions about faith tell me that's the best and easiest way to do that. But... I mean, we live in a huge country. There's a lot of people. Not everyone is going to have the same faith convictions. And that's one of the great things about our system of government is you don't have to have the same convictions in order to agree on public policy. I think that's a really great point. You know, when I look at various issues, I do agree that I think that people on the left and the right in many cases want the same things. I think at least as far as the average person in America, you know, I mean, obviously we have the extremes and sometimes those are the only people we hear from on television. But I think that the average person on the left and the average person on the right, they want the same things. They want to be safe. They want to be, they want to make sure that, you know, their family's provided for, you know, all these things. The one issue that I think for me, where I think that is really exposed through a faith lens, and I know that you've spoken about before is abortion. That's the one issue for me where I'm going, we're not wanting the same thing here in terms of how we're dealing. Talk to me about that. I don't even think that that's necessarily true because, again, it's about how it's implemented because the left and the right do want the same thing. They want respect for individuals and they want autonomy of individuals. If you actually ask people what they want, and this is, again, not politicians, not lobbyists, not people that are part of the abortion industry, they want regular people, regular American voters who say they are pro-choice or pro-abortion claim that they are pro-choice, not because they like abortion. The majority of people actually statistically say that abortion is immoral, even if they believe that it should be legal. They say that they want to leave that choice up to the woman because they don't want government telling the woman what to do. They want freedom and autonomy for that woman. So we actually don't disagree on the premise. What we disagree on, for the most part, is whether the unborn child is in fact a child, whether that person deserves dignity, whether that person deserves autonomy. But it's funny that you bring up abortion. This is one of my pet topics. I love this topic, and I feel very passionately about protecting life, as anyone who's ever heard me on the show. But it is one of the most divisive topics in our nation. But look, get this. 80% of the American people, whether they identify as pro-life or whether they identify as pro-abortion, think that we should illegalize late-term abortion. It is perhaps the issue on which the majority of the American people agree compared to every other issue. Yet if you listen to politicians in Washington, if you listen to talking heads on TV, they will tell you that we are so far on opposite sides of the spectrum, there's no compromise possible. Which probably just further illustrates how out of touch Washington Mm -hmm. is with the average person in America. Yeah, exactly. 
I mean, obviously, I think that for anybody who comes from a faith background and who values the sanctity of life, this is a major topic and certainly appreciate your efforts in, in bringing that to light. We're also, I think, fortunate to live in a time where we don't just have to rely on faith. And I don't mean this as any disrespect to the faith beliefs that guide the pro-life view. I just mean that we live in a world where we've all seen, whether it's our own children or whether it's our siblings, we've seen our ultrasound pictures on our refrigerator doors. We know science tells us that those (laughs) are children. So even if you're not Christian, even if you don't believe that that child has a soul that represents Christ, we know that's a baby. We know scientifically that's a baby. So it's not just a matter of faith. It's a secular argument now too. Yeah, that's good. Very good point. Have you enjoyed what you've heard so far on the Lucas Miles show? I hope so. But if you are somebody who's out there and you're going, I need more of this, well, I have some good news for you. If you go to the App Store, you can download an app called the Oasis Network for Churches. That's the Oasis Network for Churches. And it is a free podcast, and you can listen to my Sunday morning sermons, messages. Uh, There's free videos on there, all sorts of goodies. And you can also live stream the Sunday morning services at the church that I speak at, which is Oasis Church in Granger, Indiana. And uh, you can visit that through the App Store. And now back to our guest on The Lucas Miles Show. Let's talk a little bit about mainstream media. We've already kind of covered this somewhat, and I know that this is a passion behind OAN, but how do we really see, first of all, the average person in America have a faith restored in journalism again, and is that possible? And what's the path to that in your mind? I mean, how do you approach that as a journalist in order to You're admitting that you have bias in certain topics, but how do you approach that in order to make sure that it's still true journalism that's happening? I prefer the word opinion to bias. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. The solution to this is watch One America News Network. Don't watch the other network. Very good. You can do 21 hours of live news. Love live news and then a couple hours of opinion. I mean, the way to restore honesty and integrity to journalism is to have individuals tell the truth. We've stopped telling the truth. Media networks have stopped telling the truth. We no longer turn on the mainstream networks and trust the anchors who are giving us the news. We look for what they might not be telling us or look for their agenda. And it just comes back to telling the truth. I have no problem with mainstream networks having a bias, to use your opinion, or the anchors having an opinion. Just tell us if you have that opinion. Tell us. I can listen to a liberal show. I can watch a show with a liberal host and still get the information I need as long as I know that they're presenting it through a liberal bias. Not like that's completely unuseful. You just have to know. And what they do is they don't tell. And to me, that's dishonest. Yeah, I think that's very true and certainly something that we see so many times today is in terms of how it's presented. I was even reading a story today. I don't know if you've seen this one yet on, have you read the whole uh, elephant in Zimbabwe and was it Zambia? How they're saying that the Trump administration is now legalizing trophy hunting of elephants. And you know, I'm reading this whole article on ABC and then I get down at the bottom and it says, this has not been reported yet by the Trump administration, but we heard it over in Zimbabwe. You know, I mean, that's basically what they said at the end of it. And, you know, it might be true. It might not. I have no idea. I saw the headline. I didn't read too much into it quite yet. I probably will Google it more after, <laughs> yes. after this. But, yeah, they should have let off with that and say, listen, rumor mill in Zimbabwe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. It just came over here on a carrier pigeon for us to hear. Let's talk maybe personally a little bit more. I mean, you're in the spotlight. You have hundreds of thousands of views on your YouTube, a very active Twitter profile. 
profile. And obviously, there's a lot of fans of yours. There's also people that I'm sure strongly disagree with you. We live in a world just as an individual, even if you're not in journalism, where public opinion and trying to please people and trying to have the perfect profile on Instagram and all that stuff are such big (laughs) topics for millennials. How do you deal with some of the haters in your world and not get discouraged in those moments? Well, first of all, I'm very, I don't know if you brought this up ironically, but I'm very bad at Instagram. I know that this is something that's supposed to be, it, because my generation's supposed to be good at it, I should have a natural knack for it, but I do not. There's I, no judgment on your Instagram <laughs> account in bringing that up. <laughs> I am obsessed with Twitter. How do I deal with the haters? I don't know. I think I'm naturally, I mean, I grew up in a big family, a lot of kids, so I think you grow up a little bit with a little bit thicker of skin there. But I also, if someone who's like even high profile or active politically on the left side of the aisle, if they attack me, in a personal sense, like, I mean, if you scroll down my Twitter feed on any given day, there's people that are making fun of my hair. They're saying I'm dumb and blonde, bimbo, Barbie, whatever you want to talk about, because I'm young and blonde and female and conservative. It says to me, it doesn't hurt my feelings. I'm pretty confident, but it says to me, they don't have enough confidence in their political views to actually argue the merits of their policies. You know, if they're, if we're talking about abortion or taxes or ISIS or gun control, whatever it is, they don't have the ammunition in their argument to say, listen, you're wrong about gun control. And here's why they immediately have to resort to these ad hominem attacks. So in a sense, every time I get that kind of hate, I feel like I've scored a point. Great perspective. Sometimes I do mess with them on Twitter too, if they're particularly dumb. Sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to. A lot of your program is directed towards millennials. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I guess I don't try to target a specific audience demographic so much as I think there's a universal thirst for the truth. So I think it's something cable news struggles a bit with, and that is attracting millennials to watch news because most of us get our news from our phones or from the internet. So I don't know if it's so much targeted at millennials, such as millennials want to hear the truth with just a smattering of opinion so that it might appeal to them. Yeah, certainly. Millennials oftentimes get a bad rap. I'm part of a CEO group here in my city. I have a monthly meeting with these guys. I mean, there's some of the top business guys in my area, and I kind of just get to sit at their feet and learn. That's basically my goal. I hear them talk a lot of times about millennials and about trouble having them show up on time, being professional, dressing for a meeting, all of those things. You're a millennial yourself. I think that's fairly uh, safe to say. In looking at the millennial culture, you talked about this thirst for truth. Where do you see that generation headed as they continue to age? I don't know. Hopefully they venture outside their safe spaces and get off their emotional support. (laughs) I don't know. Our generation and millennials, I I think are between 18 and 34. That's what we consider a millennial these days. Yeah, I fall in that category. I don't know. Millennials get a bad rap and partially they deserve it. I think our generation tends to be, and this is a generalization, but it's fair. They tend to be very entitled. They tend to think that the moment they graduate from college, they should be given their dream job instead of working up the ladder. They don't have a very good idea of what it means to be professional in general which can cause them some problems. I think part of the reason for that, and this is not to take blame away from people in my generation. I think professionalism is a skill we should all learn and practice. But part of the reason for that is due to the fact that our generation has never been denied anything that we want. And I don't even mean this in a Veruca Salt spoiled child way. I mean, we have had the privilege of growing up in a country where we have had the opportunity, regardless of our gender, regardless of our sexual orientation, regardless of our skin color, regardless of our socioeconomic status, where we 
have been afforded the chance at least at trying to achieve whatever it is that we want to achieve. We didn't suffer through the Great Depression. We didn't send our generation of young men off to fight in World War II. A very small percentage comparatively of my generation fought the war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan. We have never known what it is to lack freedom and to lack opportunity. And if you are raised and if you exist in that sort of paradise, to be honest, then you need to make an effort to understand the sacrifice and the service and the incredible privilege that it is to live how we live, or you're going to, by default, become entitled. Fair enough. Sounds like some words for uh, millennials to... uh, (laughs) To listen to. And I personally, I think that, I mean, honestly, some of the best people on my team are millennials. And, you know, there's obviously, I think, plenty of them out there that have their head on their shoulders, that understand the entitlement stereotype and are breaking that in their life. But I think that probably that appreciation for freedom, that appreciation of what they have and seeing the foundation that was laid for them through the baby boomers and Gen Xers and, you know, all these other generations. All the way back to the founding of our country. I mean, or even further back than that. I will say, to say something positive about my generation, our generation, I think, has displayed already an incredible amount of ingenuity and creativity. I mean, the obvious example here is Silicon Valley, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, the guys at Google, the absolutely incredible amount of ingenuity that has changed lives, has changed it in the positive way, has broken down some, I don't want to use the word cultural stereotypes, but some norms that had existed in business before that might not have afforded the best opportunity to women or to minorities. And that, I think, is what the millennial generation, hopefully, 50, 100 years from now, will be known for. Hopefully, we'll get over this hump of of being snowflakes and being too afraid to hear the opposing opinion without needing it to be shut down because that is something incredible about our generation. I couldn't agree more. I'd like to consider myself sort of a closet futurist. And I made the comment the other day that especially in big cities, like if apartment complexes or parking garages are not building in landing pads for flying cars now as they're preparing for the new construction that they're doing, then they're totally missing the future that's coming. So there's so much ingenuity. I mean, every single day, I mean, things are just advancing so fast. And I think you're right. We could criticize the millennials for spending half of their childhood on video games and phones, but now they're taking that time spent and they're developing apps that are changing how we do things and productivity and, and programs and everything else. Just imagine if our generation did both. Imagine if we had the creativity and the ingenuity and the opportunity and the recognition and appreciation of liberty, then we'd be one of the greatest generations, I think, that our country has ever seen. And and some millennials, to be fair, are encompassing all those things. I wish more of my generation understood what it means to be, to live in a free country, what it means to be experiencing this kind of liberty and who sacrificed their lives and their liberty and their fortunes to give us what we have. Awesome. My guest today is Liz Wheeler from One America News Network, inspiring this generation to (laughs) not only have ingenuity, but also character appreciation and faith. So, Liz, really great to have you on the program. I appreciate you being on here and uh, best of luck at uh, OAN. And please give everybody our thumbs up. Doing a great job over there. Thank you so much, Lucas. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. If you haven't had a chance to pick up a copy of my book, Good God, 
the one we want to believe in but are afraid to embrace. I want to encourage you to do so. It's available wherever books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you name it, you can find Good God there. So grab a copy. You can also always get a copy at lucasmiles.org. And after you read it, I'd love to hear from you. If you liked it, hate it, shoot me a message. Let's stay in touch and make sure and keep visiting lucasmiles.org. That's all I have for you for today, but make sure and head over to iTunes and download the Lucas Miles Show and head over to faithwire.com where you can always get the Lucas Miles Show exclusively there and listen to our newest episode. We have all sorts of exciting guests, so check it out, the Lucas Miles Show.